when did you know? Oh, God. <laughs> I actually wrote this question down for you, too. Did you? For next time. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a story that everyone is like, oh, yeah, I did that, too. I mean, they're at my house. I'm having them over for New Year's. We're feeding them pizza. Oh, my God. I felt like this was also my way of getting out of my sexuality, of turning away from what I presume to be sin. We're back. <laughs> We're back. Hi, everybody. It is Matt. And Michael. And we are coming to you live from Who's Your Daddy Podcast Season 2. Who's Your Daddy Podcast Studios in Portland, Oregon. This time, we are back. Bigger. Juicier. Thicker than ever. Definitely thicker. Thicker. (laughs) It is winter. It is cuffing season. Here we go. Last season, we talked a lot about having babies. We did. But I want to address the elephant in the room. We, we don't have any babies. We don't have babies. We don't have, we babies. Don't have babies. Yes, we are <laughs> gay, though. A little bit. <laughs> That's the elephant in the room. We are a podcast about gay parenthood, and we are not gay parents. Yeah. But we are gay. We're at least 50% of what been, we set out to, to accomplish. And we have been trying. We've been trying so hard mm-hmm. to have babies and get pregnant. We're yeah. just trying and trying and trying. And what do we have to show for it? A podcast. A podcast. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> this podcast, this season, we are changing things up. We're yeah. going to, you know, because we are in a waiting period right now. We have been matched with the surrogate, but we are waiting before we can get pregnant. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of steps, things that are happening. We'll go into it a little bit later when things mm-hmm. are cleared. Um, but right now, we're just waiting. So while we wait, we are going to be talking a lot about ourselves, our pasts, and a lot of issues that pertain to LGBTQ plus people. I think with season two and maybe like just going forward, this might just become the the norm. But there's a lot of things to talk about, obviously, with surrogacy and adoption and things like that. But there's also a lot to talk about just in general, in, general, in life, in the gay community, in, I don't know, we're traveling a lot. I, I think there's just like current events. One of the biggest things, things I like from to last talk season about. that I feel like we didn't do that I wish we had what? is be like, hey, this is who we are. Hi, I'm a person. This is my story. Here's yeah. a little bit about me. Yeah. We definitely leaned heavy on the education aspects last season. And this yeah. season, we're going to get a lot more personal. We're going to go yeah. deep, deep into our past. How deep? Deep. <laughs> he means deep. Dang. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Um, and we thought, what better way to start than with a topic that is so personal to both of us? It's yeah. kind of like the m- most impactful time of our lives. And that would be our coming out stories. Yeah. I mean, I, I think probably the most like influential part of both of our lives yeah. where like things completely flipped, right? It's like a 180 yeah. moment. Kind and I of. know like nowadays, a lot of people, um, Gen Zers don't necessarily have these like the same kind of like closeted experience and then this big coming out moment but i think for us going through middle school and high school college in the closet and then finally coming to this point where everything breaks and mm. you're just like coming out i think that it still exists i just think it's like definitely environmental and yeah. environmental dependent so yeah. i definitely think it's still a big deal for a lot of people because we still get emails and totally messages about like oh my gosh like i would like to come out but i don't know how like what's your advice i just don't see those like big coming out stories you know you don't notice it quite as much honestly you mostly see it with like celebrity now and it's like 
oh, this soccer player came out, and it's like, wow. Yeah, but it doesn't seem I, to be as big of a deal as it no, was. No, and it shouldn't And be. it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. Right, I know. But we're going to talk about when it was a big deal. <laughs> it did see. There was this, like, five... Well, well, how many years do you think it was? Like, a six-year, eight-year period where... Maybe it was because it was this era of YouTube that we were oh, yeah. involved in. And then, like, I feel like just this cascade of coming out videos. And it was like the world that was you ending. Knew. Or the world was changing when yeah. you came out. It was this big moment. I think there was a lot less representation maybe around that moment. Totally. And so everybody yeah. was like just trying to like put their own story out there. Yeah. But it was a big unknown because you put this message out and you're like, I'm not sure how this is going to be received by anybody I know. So today we are going to jump into Matthew's coming out story and then next time we'll jump into mine. So, okay. Matthew, I'm going to ask you a couple questions, but then I'm just going to let you go for it. Yes. My favorite question. Oh. Actually, everyone's favorite question that I think you might hate. Do you know what it is? No. When did you know? Oh, God. <laughs> I actually wrote this question down for you too. Did you? For next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when did I know? Um... Uh, I knew from a very young age that something felt off. Something felt different. Actually, I think something just felt right. Well, I'm going <laughs> to... No, I'm going to talk about this from, like, my perspective. No, 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 no. I understand. And, like, I noticed when I was younger, I think one of the biggest things when I was even four years old, five years old, noticed how to, I had a big attraction towards art, and I was repulsed by sports. So... Mm. Hi, my name is Matthew Schuler. I am from a small town in Oregon called Albany. It's a town of about 45,000 people when I was growing up there. Um, it's a mix of like liberal and conservative, like 50 50. It's literally honestly 50/50. like border, just on the border of like you have Trump territory there, you have liberal, liberal people there. It's right on the I 5 corridor, which, if you don't know, is like the big main artery highway down the entire west coast seattle portland san francisco LA. exactly yep albany's right on that highway but it's also a big like grass seed farming district plus like mills and like logging industrial maybe. yeah and there's like, a lot of industry there and, yeah so it's very like blue collar my dad worked as an electrician um, my mom worked several jobs when i was growing up she never really stayed in one place but she worked at a factory for a while so what yeah. factory uh pacific cast technologies is what it was oh, they made like an that. airplane part oh okay yeah isn't that interesting i didn't know that part anyway so this big blue collar 50 50 area of like uh liberalism conservatism conservatism conservative people it's hard to say honestly it's you know yeah. it's just a little it sticks in your throat a little bit but i just wanted to like lay that groundwork because i i did feel like i was growing up in this area that was just teetering and it felt like uh Everything was politicized, you know? Really? It's battleground. It's like right in the middle. People were extreme, you know? You were either like super conservative, diehard, or you were super liberal. And there was not a lot. It was just so divided. I think I noticed that living here is that you're like one side, very far one side or very far the other. That's not always true. But it seems more pronounced than when where I grew up. But I guess I didn't think about it being like from your childhood like 20 years ago being the exact same it's, i sort of thought like maybe 2016 oh it's definitely a change like, ramped but it up i wanted a to bit. like i wanted to lay that groundwork because that 
I think had a big impact on how I grew up and how yeah. I saw myself and how I saw my sexuality. Yeah. Um. So I noticed that I yeah had the strong affinity affinity towards art. I was repulsed by sports. I have one full older brother. He's two years older than me. And he was in love with sports. He was in basketball and football and baseball and track. And he was on varsity on all these things. And even in elementary school, I noticed that there's this big difference between him and I. Uh, I noticed that my parents like really prided themselves in in the sports that he was doing. Oh, sure. And I didn't see that same attention towards me with art. Of course, like, yeah. what am I doing? I'm doing what like kind of water art? Color. I'm doing water. I mean, I'm in an elementary school. Watercolors, okay? Like, <laughs> we're not doing anything. You're like, my parents didn't pin all of my watercolor paintings on the fridge. But I, it just, just, just to draw no, the difference of I like, understand. we were going to my brother's basketball games, football games, etc. Like three times a week, and I was always I in the bleachers. Like, I spent so much time in the bleachers. And even today, I kind of hate sports because of, like, this experience. Yeah, we're still working through that. Yeah, I just felt so, like, trapped in that. And I kept asking myself, like, why don't I fit into this mold of what I am supposed to be? I felt like I was, I needed to be this athletic person. And these feelings just multiplied and got more and more complicated as I grew up. As I started to notice that my body was different than other boys in my class. People started to outgrow me. People started to be able to lift more. Started to notice that my body wasn't as strong as their bodies. And they were getting girlfriends. But why weren't the girls attracted to me? Or mm. why, you know, like... Or why? like, where, I mean, you weren't really attracted to girls, though. Right? No, but I thought, oh, okay. like, this yeah. is just how everybody else felt. And there was mm. something wrong with me to make it so that the girls weren't attracted to me as well. Mm. So, yeah, I started to notice things seriously in fifth grade. Um, that's when things started to click and fall into place. Um, I actually had an imaginary friend. <gasps> in fifth grade? In third grade. In third grade? Yeah, but this, like, I had an imaginary friend for what years. What was their name? I don't know. What? I cannot remember what I, I don't think I ever named them. <sighs> God, we're Would going. Did you talk to them? This just spirals, Michael. I swear. I knew when you were like, I think I'm going to try and do this in 30 minutes. I was like, there's absolutely no way. Oh, I'm still going to get this minutes. in 30 minutes. I'm going to get it. I'm <laughs> going to do it. Okay. We're going to keep this short. I only Sorry asked to. one question. Uh, I know, but I really want to just tell my story. <laughs> no, I know. I agree. I agree. Take your time. So, yeah, I had an imaginary friend. For everyone listening, I, I don't know if you guys have had imaginary friends before or if you grew up in a religious environment. But this gets complicated. Like, it really spirals and gets into a tight knot. It's all interrelated. And it's weird. It's super weird when I talk about it. Like, this <laughs> makes me nervous. But my imaginary friend was, like, associated with, like, I thought demonic tendencies. What? And I attributed those factors towards my imaginary friend. Wait, what? Yeah. Your f imaginary friend had demonic tendencies, but you were creating those demonic tendency in my mind whoa so yeah and i attributed this imaginary friend to be related to my sexuality did you even like know the word sexuality i mean like in fifth grade even in third grade i knew that i was more attracted to being around boys i didn't attribute that to like sexually i was just like i wanted to be around boys and then i made this loose association that this imaginary friend was influencing me to like spend more time around boys and like rebel and not listen to my parents do stupid little kid stuff that I shouldn't be doing. Okay. I would like imagine that my imaginary friend was 
in my physical space and was mm. like what did they look like i one time they took the shape of a centipede ew yeah that's just no yeah that's not a friend yeah that's i'm telling you it's really creepy and weird straight up demon yeah so wow i don't I don't think i've ever talked about that before no you haven't i've never heard <laughs> that story maybe in therapy like nine years of knowing you i've never yeah. known that you had a centipede but i'm sure i'm not the only person friend. who had like this weird religious i feel like my mind was just messed up and trying to do you think express itself in different ways were you hearing like you know how um some religious practices it'll be like cast out the demons and yeah like, like i don't know it's just a little bit more intense than some other uh, religious practices were you hearing like the whole like oh you need to like cast out your demons and you need to i don't know do all this like weird things or because your dad was catholic so yeah. i guess and my parents were catholic too so no no yeah my my dad raised me catholic my mom was baptist there was always that divide my mom never converted yeah we definitely grew up with like these ideals of this is how you're supposed to live and there was the expectation that like i was to marry a woman um my brother was to marry a woman and we were going to produce lots of children and play sports and be really athletic and manly <laughs> did your parents say that or was that something that like you just saw and observed both your parents were like, you're going to marry a girl and have a lot of babies. I, there was a lot of like uh, assumptions, you know, and, and that's OK. That was kind yeah. of like the time. So, you know, my parents would assume that I'm going to be dating girls and then I'm going to get married and have children. Right. And just like they assume that I would like sports and eventually get into sports and start playing sports like my brother. But was it like talked about a lot? Yeah. I, I mean, like you're going to marry a girl and you're going to have a bunch of babies. And like, I mean, what's that like? Or was that just like a thing that you were seeing and then you were like, oh, I must do that? Both. Interesting. But that was also like ingrained in the culture in school. No, totally. Yeah. It's totally. We understand. It's that. a heteronormative. Totally. Society. I just think maybe like, yeah, that's interesting. But So I had this imaginary friend. I developed this kind of weird energy relationship with myself through that. And I started to become a lot more introspective, thinking to myself, thinking, mm -hmm. how am I going to get rid of this imaginary friend who really seems like an enemy, who is trying to make me gay? And then I got mm -hmm. into fifth grade, and that's when like things started to really happen for me. Things clicked into place where I just had this realization of like, oh my God, I don't, I'm not attracted to women. I'm not attracted to girls. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that my peers were. This immediately turned into like me panicking and feeling like I needed to have a best friend. So that continued all through middle school where I was like, I just need to have a best friend and become the most popular person in school. The, like the perfectionism started there, fifth grade. I was like, all right, I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be the best of the best. I'm going to be the most popular kid in school. And I'm going to control everything so <laughs> that I feel okay about myself. Yeah. and <laughs> Everybody will love me. Sound familiar? Yeah. I think that's <laughs> I think that's a story that everyone is like, oh yeah, I did that too. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, I did overachieve um and join multiple clubs and try and do all the things and be the best at everything to compensate for the fact that I didn't like girls and I couldn't have attention for liking girls and being really, really good at sports. And that are we still overcompensating? 
<laughs> Always. Perfectionist. I mean, I'm sure. It's real. Oh, yeah. I still deal with it. So, of course, any little thing that went wrong was like the absolute worst. And it felt like my world was crumbling down. That's called mm. middle school. Yeah. Were you like obsessed with having a best friend in middle school? I don't think I was. A, no. But I think I was like just not as introspective maybe as you were as a kid. I think. I don't know. In middle school, I guess we. I was in like more of like a popular-ish crowd. But again, we can get into my story later. Yeah, it totally sounds. But you can ask me if you want. Less intense, I guess. I yeah, just... my middle school, I th- it was a small. Yeah. Um, I was like a little bit athletic, but not that. Like I wasn't the best at anything. <laughs> With this comparison of like you versus me, I think people are gonna listen to this and be like, "Oh my god, he's insane." Who are you? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> um. No, I don't think that's true. And perhaps I was as a kid. I don't, Who knows? That, I don't identify had a lot with going, that person anymore. You had a lot going on. I did. I also think maybe your middle school, like, were people, like, coupled up a lot? Like, oh, totally. See, and I think that that, I mean, people were, like, had girlfriends, but they, like, never saw I them, never talked to them. I a girl in sixth grade who got pregnant. No, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't know of my friends, like, being like sexually active in middle school yeah no my friends were high school this was weird maybe you were just in like a bigger school and they had more people and more things were happening yeah and like more adult behavior my school was like euphoria yeah mine was (laughs) not mine was like i just more innocent i think and like because it was everybody knew everybody maybe that was part of it and it was like but yeah your school wasn't like euphoria no my school (laughs) not that i remember drugs sex alcohol (laughs) no that's not my experience. <laughs> that was my middle school. Yeah, no, we would like sit around. We'd play truth or dare, spin the bottle. It was so awkward. So like my first kiss was in fifth grade, sixth grade, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. My first girlfriend was in fifth grade. And then I had girlfriends all through sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, off See, and on. See, but you said girls don't like you, but you had a bunch of girlfriends. I know, but I still was like, they don't like me, you know? Oh, internal. Internal. Internal speak totally obsession with best friends that kind of developed little did i know that i wanted them to be my boyfriend Mm. but i was i developed this like necessity to have have a have a male figure really close to me in sixth grade seventh grade and i wasn't necessarily being like sexually attracted to them but i was attracted to being around them i was like yeah no that makes sense i just want to be around them and i want their attention and energy towards me yeah i think that's that's pretty normal yeah. And so I became like the best friend who was there through all of their dating experiences. I would be hooking this person up with this person. I was a great matchmaker. I was a great friend. Uh, I would get crushed by just things that would happen. I had this one friend over who I at the time like wanted to be my best friend so bad. And he really liked hanging out with um, another guy that like lived on the next street over. Mm. And it was new year's we we're going to have a sleepover it's going to be fantastic and i had my harry potter lego collection up oh on God. my table i do know this yeah and then my friend from the other street who we had kind of a rivalry no joke we were like fighting over the same friends it was bad we weren't like just dalton no no it was not dalton oh i thought you said across the street it's chad <gasps> ew <laughs> everybody knows a chad and Chad is a dick. Yeah. And Chad came over to my house and he was telling secrets to my other friend. Okay, I'll name him Christian. 
And Chad and Christian were telling secrets to each other and whatever. And then they decided that I was no longer a part of their group somehow. I mean, they're at my house. I'm having them over for New Year's. We're feeding them pizza. Oh, my God. And one of them goes upstairs and throws a football at my Harry Potter Lego collection. And the whole thing fell off the table and crumbled into... Now, that man had a demonic centipede imaginary friend. Jesus. That is erratic behavior. I was crushed. I was so crushed. I, like, I mean, I had been collecting the Harry Potter Lego sets since fourth grade at the time. I was in seventh mm-hmm. grade. It had been three years. I had huge collection. I had the whole what did your Hogwarts parents castle. Do? What did your parents do? What do you mean? Oh, like when that happened? I would go nuclear. I mean, they were kind of like, y'all do not need to be throwing the football in the house. And that is not great that that happened. But they weren't like, they weren't angry. And I was... Oh, I would, we would have a full on 30 minute session of like, what is going on? Why are you doing that? Like, why would you throw a football at that? I full on cried, but I like controlled my emotions. I was like, it's okay. I can't, like, I need to save face and not show them that I'm struggling here. So then the next day, it snowed overnight, and we went to go make snow forts and play in the snow all together. And I was like, things are going well. I'm picking it back up. Like, let's be best friends again. They, they were, like, throwing snowballs at each other, having a snowball fight. And I'm like, I don't want to be aggressive right now. I just want to be creative. So I made this enormous snow fort. And it was the biggest, like, igloo snow fort thing that I've ever made. And I was so proud of it that I, I like brought Christian and Chad over. I'm like, look at my snow fort. Like, isn't it great? It's awesome. You guys can use it for, you know, like your snowball fight, whatever. And I'm like, I'm, I'll be right back. I'm going to go grab my mom's camera and take a picture of it. And so I ran inside, grabbed my mom's camera, and then I ran back out. And when I got back to the snow fort, it was completely demolished. These people are insane. It was just like literally smashed to the ground. There was nothing left. Why? And why? What what did they say? Like what is the They laughed. They were like off on their own. You literally are like were friends with like the crazy kids in the Christmas story. You know the ones with the yellow eyes? <sighs> yeah, but by this God is like, he had yellow eyes. This Your is not... friend had by God he had freaking yellow eyes. <sighs> I mean, yeah, this is pretty messed up. That so, is really messed up. I ran inside and I cried and i didn't talk to them again yeah that's what i would do too and i sat I in my mom's in fight arms bawling and we watched monk you remember <laughs> monk? <laughs> <I'm> sp- <laughs> yeah i'd never watched it i just remember that it was a show who remembers monk it's a guy with ocd and he solves crimes mm-hmm. it's beautiful and it i just speaking of mental illness so so the question was when did you know <laughs> <laughs> i knew school. okay sounds good okay well you have your own outline so yeah you just you just get to it we're gonna get into the religious stuff now that's uh, that was my next question was like why was it so hard so uh, as far as like yeah c- telling your coming out story why was it so hard and obviously i think this is probably the biggest we talked a little bit about kind of like those religious undertones in the area that i grew up in and I feel like I'm so psychoanalyzing everything now about my story. But this is really kind of You're like... You're like, I've had some therapy. And now that I'm retelling it, I'm like, oh. Yeah. I think in the past when I've told my story, I've just been like, oh, this happened. And then this happened. And then I was like, really messed up. And now you're like, oh, man. Now I know how the gears are mis- messed up. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? I had an imaginary centipede. <laughs> I know. 
This is informative for when we have kids. I'm just going to sit them down and be like, do you have an imaginary centipede friend? Do we need to talk? Yeah, it's real. So going through middle school into high school, I joined this organization called Young Life. And I'm sure some of you listening have heard of Young Life. I'm sure some of you listening have been in Young Life. I never knew what Young Life was. And I keep seeing and meeting people that you're like, oh, yeah, I know you through Young Life. Honestly, much like ex-Mormons meet ex-Mormons after they get out of the church, Mm -hmm. much like ex-Young Lifers meet ex-Young Lifers and they just understand each other. So Young Life is an organization that caters towards youth. It's a lot of young adults leading it as um spiritual spiritual leaders youth pastors um mentors pastors. mentors pastors sure michael not pastures. pastures 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 a pasture how do you say pastor a pastor pasture no <laughs> a pasture is where horses go and graze on grass it's a youth pasture pastor i don't know i don't understand the difference here <laughs> Pastor, pasture. I think we're just dotting I's here. My mom was a speech language pathologist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously, it worked really well. And are really you pathologizing well. me? I am. Oh, God. <laughs> so, Young Life. Young Life has these church camps around the country. and uh, Non-denominational? They're non-denominational, right. Yeah. They have a little bit of a conservative bent to them. I say a little bit, but Shocking. it's probably quite significant. I'm still kind of like... I still look at my days in Young Life with a lot of joy. Mm. Like, I had a really good time. Cults are fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) The Rajneesh Camp in Oregon. Oh, God. Okay. History. Yeah. There's a camp in eastern Oregon. It's now called Washington Family Ranch. It used to be called Wild Horse Canyon. Mm. And both of those camps were owned by Young Life in the 19 late 1990s to present day in the 80s it was owned by a cult and the cult was uh led by ashwan rajanish and this was a cult leader there's a netflix documentary you have got to go watch it i think it's called wild wild country i don't remember i remember we watched it but i don't remember what it's called they basically were trying to make their own nation within the United States to say, like, this is our own independent sphere. And they're trying to gain political power in Eastern Oregon. Um, And they actually poisoned a bunch of salad bars at restaurants around Mm. Eastern Oregon around the time of election in order that people would get sick and stay home and wouldn't vote so that they could gain control over the neighboring districts of their cult. That's crazy. Yeah. So that is the place where Young Life has now set up camp, <laughs> mm-hmm. and kids are coming over to learn about Because they kind of like built this whole city. Right. So like... They're... It's a city. It's basically a city in the middle of the desert, middle of nowhere. It's kind of amazing. So... <laughs> in a creepy, weird way. I Yeah. No. No kidding. I got super involved in Young Life in high school, and I felt like this was kind of like my calling in life to be a Young Life leader to lead people to the church and to um, help them find a relationship with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this was also my way of getting out of my sexuality, of um, turning away from what I presumed to be sin at the time and to learn how I could become straight and like women and be normal like all of my peers. Simultaneously, as I tried to like go up this path of like self-righteousness 
I just kept feeling like I was leading a false life and I started to hate myself more and more and more internally. But externally, I was this confident um, youth pastor like, <gasps> good job, you said it right. Oh, cool. Person who was bringing a lot of people to this youth group. So you have like two people living yeah, in one body. Yeah. And um, along with the perfectionism, I was involved in a ton of clubs, a ton of sports. And this basically got to a boiling point in my junior year. Um, this was after I spent the summer working at one of the Young Life camps. I was actually working at Washington Family Ranch during the summer. They get high school students to come over and work, volunteer for an entire summer where they're working, but they're also building a relationship with Jesus, building a relationship with each other. And it's a lot of fun, but you do a lot of work. So could be problematic. Mm. Different discussion for a different time. Um, but it's extremely like religiously impactful in the sense that you dive in super deep spiritually. You don't have cell service. You don't have like any access to the outside world. You're basically like stuck in this vacuum of hyper religiousness for two months. <laughs> and you're with a bunch of kids that are in the same space. And so it really, yeah, it's cult like. I remember writing on a piece of paper while I was there that I would relinquish all of my sexuality and get over this, this sin that I had, this deep sin. And I wrote it on a piece of paper while we we're at a bonfire because we were um, basically giving up our deepest sins. We we're writing our deepest, darkest secrets on these papers Jeez. and we were throwing them into the fire to get rid of them. So I was legitimately denying my sexuality mm. and throwing it into the fire to say like, that is not a part of me, which like at the time, I thought this was like the most powerful moment for my life of being able to like move forward and live as a, as a straight person. My assumption is that that was like emotional for everybody. Like, was it a very like everyone's just like crying? And yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I wonder how many other people wrote that same thing down. <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah. Especially since some of my relationships occurred in the camp and like, what? Oh, totally. What do you mean? There was... This all blends in together. There's a guy on, at the camp. His name, I'll call him Fred because I don't want to like give away his real name. I don't know who, where he is or where he's at now. So we're just going to call him Fred. Okay. Him and I grew a strong bond. He was a few years older than me. I actually think he was a year after high school. Okay. Like and he had you were just graduated. I was 15. Okay. And we were talking a lot. We were cuddling. We were telling each other our deepest darkest secrets and we kept texting after the camp and like maintain the strong relationship mm -hmm. and i remember he would like give me these back rubs but he would like climb on top of me and then start like just really kind of like pushing me in a what i now see as a sexual way but mm. at the time thought it was very like we're bros being innocent and giving each other back rubs mm -hmm. like the, the the whole environment at young life camps was so homoerotic because there was so much repression yeah and people were just like doing their best to not be sexual but when you repress it to that extent it just like comes out in the weirdest ways so yeah i mean it's yeah it's just necessary like it necessarily comes out if you cover a pressure pot and like yeah tie no, down no, the pot that's gonna burst at some point did were you like uncomfortable or like no i did get uncomfortable um and that's when things started to get 
go south um because he hmm. got like kind of controlling and he'd try to like oh, overpower me and like physically physically hey. i had another friend at, at school and it was weird because like i thought he was i think he could have been straight i don't know what his deal is but like he befriended one of my other friends at school and then he like started having sex with her oh female and he'd like come over stay at my house have sex with this other person who he'd like hook up with in my at your house at my house oh this is very and then he'd come and like try to climb on top of me and he'd be like sobbing and apologizing to me for doing stuff with this girl and then it was like this all this emotional dump of like i don't know what i'm doing in life i was so confused and i advice for the kids listening out there cut that person out immediately it was bad um and he lived like he he lived up in portland so he was driving down to see me about oh. an hour and a half away and at the same time we we're like we're reading the bible together we're praying together well i mean this story's played out like thousands of times yeah like we're doing <sighs> hindsight's 2020 baby yeah we're like doing all these things that seem like religious and spiritual and godly and then so this like yeah. escalated because my friend my my friend who was a girl at the high school she like blocked him and was like i don't want anything to do with them now he's trying to stalk me he's showing up at my house he's following me and so i tried to talk to him and be like you need to back off and not do this anymore you need to stay away keep your distance and then that's when he turned on me. He called my house over a hundred times in a day. What did your parents say? They were freaking out. They were like, who is this person? Yeah. And you're like... He left voicemails on our answering machine, sobbing into the phone. Is this person like... Oh, my God. Like You it, don't know it, where they're at today, right? No, I don't. <laughs> oh but it, it, escal- it went from like zero... Like something that I thought was com- completely platonic and like okay to a hundred and like that. Like something just snapped mm. and I didn't know what was happening. It was my first time like ever experiencing anything that was like remotely sexual with another guy. Mm. And all of a sudden it felt like it was hitting, shit was hitting the fan. My parents were now involved and were trying to like decipher like, why is this guy calling our house? Why is he crying into the phone? Why won't he leave you alone? Why are you spending so much time up in your room alone with him? Like all these questions and i just lost it because i felt like i had failed i felt like i had not held up my commitment of abstaining sexually and not like being involved with other men and um i could tell that my mind was like bending into this like am i attracted to this person and this just spiraled into this cycle of like shame and fear and doubt and well, i mean it seems sounds like a relatively traumatic experience on top of the fact that you were trying to like suppress it so then it was like the thing that you're trying to suppress is now traumatic and probably reinforcing your worldview that yes i should not do this because it will lead to bad bad things like this yeah and um throughout this entire like uh narrative of a few months of this like relationship kind of unfolding my parents and I became extremely distant from each other and I became super mistrusting of them. Um, one, because they were accusatory <clears throat> of what was going on with this guy. And, and two, just because of all this repression, I was afraid that they would find me out. 
Um, so I just started cutting myself off from other people. I like didn't want to talk to anyone. And then that's what led me down a really dark path that winter. And you're how old? Um, 15. 15. Going on 16. Could have so been like 16. sophomore, junior. It was sophomore. a junior. Yeah. So 16 that winter. And that's when I started to have suicidal ideation. That was kind of early, like earlier on than maybe what I perceived before. But yeah. Yeah. That was like my darkest time. Yeah. Um, I remember one night just kind of beside myself and I like went down to my parents' room and was crying and um, I don't know what had happened or transpired before that that led me to this point, but I uh, just remember like telling my parents, I'm like, I don't believe you love me. Um, and and like I felt so strongly about that. And I think that's what was a huge red flag for both of my parents. Mm. Um, and that's when they uh, contacted someone for counseling to like figure out what was going on. Wow. And what I didn't know is that they were also going to um, counseling sessions to talk about what was happening at like, the time. Oh, with you? Without me. They would go separately. No, 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 no. But they were like, they were like, our son is like doing X, Y, Z and like, we just don't know what to do or like how to act. Or were they doing their own therapy like within themselves, between themselves? No, they didn't know how to, how to handle oh, okay, yeah. what was going on. They were confused. They were like, why yeah, is good he for them. acting That's... this way? What's happening? Um, and I'm pretty sure I'm I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that the therapist was like, he could be gay. Like, this is how you need to support and like figure it out. So there was a really big shift that happened um, with how my parents treated me and talked to me after we started going to therapy they, together. I did not go. We had one session together, like all together when they were going separately on their own and I was going separately on my own my parents learned how they could like talk to me without making me like feel like, attacked or triggered or defensive did you ever have pushback on that on going to therapy or you were like no that sounds good or you were like i don't need it no when it was first presented to me um i was in such a defeated state that i didn't i didn't have energy i didn't have anything like i had no feedback <laughs> Like in the therapy session when they're like asking you questions? No, or just... when they were present, like when they're like, we, we think we mm. need to go to therapy. I'm just like, I just have nothing to, I, I can't argue it. I'm not going to like support it. I'm just like there. I did not want to exist anymore at that point. Like I, mm. I don't, I remember like thinking about how I could not be alive anymore. Right, right. All of the ideas were just like not pleasant to think about and not something that I necessarily wanted to do. Right. I just was thinking about it in the sense of like, how can I make the pain stop? And how can I get out of this? Like, I felt so much shame and guilt at that time that I didn't feel like there was any way out. Mm -hmm. And that this was my only option. So I think like really um, confronting it with my parents and, and kind of like this cry for help of as like, you don't love me anymore. They asked me like, are you thinking about hurting yourself? And I said, yes. And well, I mean, you at least at least you're honest and so that they could like they were at least aware i feel like some people might skirt around the issue you know and then possibly yeah lie or just be like oh no i'm fine put on a face and but I, I think at that point i was so defeated i didn't really like i didn't want to put a 
I didn't want to lie about something else. You didn't have enough energy. I didn't have enough energy to, to like put on another face. You were just like, I yeah. didn't want to argue. I didn't want to like fight anymore. I just was like, yeah, I'm I'm done. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. Obviously, did therapy help or like? It did did they did the did the discussion about like sexuality come up or was it more just like it did? But I denied it. Okay, denied it for about a year and a half. Okay, finally acknowledged it. I think my senior year, we had a discussion in therapy and she said that she absolutely was totally okay supporting me through my sexuality and that there was nothing wrong with it you know and i was convinced i'm like no religiously like this doesn't work for me um it's a sin i'm not gonna support it um i need to find a way to not be gay and she's like we can try cognitive behavior therapy through it um but i do not recommend this this is not right like you need to address it but she's like if 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 this is the only choice then i can try to help you with tools to mentally think through this so that you don't go to a dark place basically mm-hmm. like how can we put this on pause or keep you at a level where you're surviving and doing okay until you're ready to address the issue basically <laughs> yeah and she really like encouraged me she's like hey like in the future if you're at college and you meet somebody and like you feel attraction towards that person like you should feel free to experiment with that and like just just see what happens like you don't don't write everything off and say no like just keep an open mind and if you want to be straight now that's okay but you might change your mind later and that's also okay Mm. and so she kept reinforcing that which was good because i think it really helped with the building blocks towards um when i was in college to finally come out so i think we figured out why it was so difficult mostly i feel like it was mostly religious based not community based well i guess if your community is heavily influenced by religion i guess it could be a little combination of both yeah i mean my community was young life was young life and like that's kind of like what yeah where your identity lied (sighs) yeah and in that like there is this whole i had such a hard time with my dad because he had this strong Catholic conviction. Oh con- yeah, uh, conviction, mm-hmm. and I was going against that by being non-denominational. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine, like mm-hmm. me thinking my dad is having such a hard time with me, just not even being Catholic, just because I'm going to like a different denomination. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine me? Like I'm like if I came out as gay, he would disown me. Mm-hmm. There'd be no way. Of course, that was completely wrong. Right. But we know that now. So that goes into college. I was going to say, my next question was like, how did like your experience at college affect kind of like the trajectory of everything? I actually want to Because you went to a Christian college. Yeah. And I want to do a whole episode on like my journey through Christian university and how that played into (laughs) the... Oh... The deep, dark secrets of Christian University (laughs) and the underground. Maybe we should just make that part episode two and then we'll just put me later. Oh, God. (laughs) No, it's 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 a good story for any point in time. Um, But it's a lot more fun than maybe the coming out story that that we've been talking about. But yeah, um, simply put college the first three years I was in the closet in college and uh <laughs> made a good group of friends in my freshman year um we all loved cross country we were 
all not super sporty, but we were cute little twinks and it was fun. We loved hanging out together. Was that like a bright spot? Kind of like to get out of high school, get out of Albany, go to Seattle, go to college. Like, yeah. Was that helpful? Right. Yeah. At that point, I um had written off homosexuality. I said like, I am completely clean from it. I like any thought that comes up sexually, I'm just going to shut down immediately. And <laughs> I'm I, just going to cuddle real hard and keep my clothes on. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I like had this reinvigorated like uh, sense of um, religiousness. Did it play into why you chose a Christian Seattle, university? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. 100%. You were like, this will keep me straight. Yep, for sure. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is my path. Uh, I'm going to. Pray the gay away, and I'm going to go to this religious university that's going to keep me in check, and I'm going to become a doctor, and I'm going to be better than everyone else, and I'm going to be perfect, because then everyone will love me. God. (laughs) Oh, it's a tale as old as time. Yeah. Yeah. Went through college, three years, same pattern as high school. It was a mess. And then, and I want to get into it in another episode. I will go deep into that. For time's sake, we're going to keep it there. And then I took a lot of trips to, not a lot of trips. I took two trips to Europe, one in summer of 2011, one in summer of 2012. And this was all YouTube related because I was super into YouTube and I was um, going to meet YouTubers and all that. And a lot of YouTubers were from the UK mm-hmm. and uh, I learned a lot from them. And I, I learned a lot about accepting and loving myself. <laughs> that's really cool and keeping an open mind about things yeah when you travel you just like it opens your mind and it allows you to get out of your current situation which is exactly what i needed i needed to go see that there was something beyond my christian university bubble and that people were living in a different way and they were happy Mm -hmm. and that like changed my life yeah definitely um so being exposed to other people and in different cultures, and then seeing that they were gay and open about it and had tons of friends, were totally fine. People accepted them. People loved them. And they felt, like, relieved. And it was so to, like, different from what I was seeing back yeah. home. That was powerful. Oh, yeah. And I came back. I started to talk about, talk about my sexuality with people and tell them, like, well, close friends that I trusted, like, mm-hmm. this is something I've been struggling with. And I don't know where I'm at on it. And that conversation just transformed over and over and over again Mm -hmm. for about a year until midway through junior year when I was ready to talk to my parents about it. That's so interesting. So yours was like this long discussion. Yeah. Over the course of an entire year. Yeah. Wow. Well, we will get into how mine is different uh, later. Yeah. (laughs) We know how things ended with it. Yeah. So how did you bring it up to your parents sat on the couch crying for a while okay you're like like always i just Just sit there i bawl my eyes out bare my soul and then just see what happens i think my parents went out to dinner or something they had an event they're going to and it was on christmas break and they came back home and i was like laying on the couch after a nice cry sesh and watching a movie maybe i don't know and then i like peeked my head up and i was like Hi, I need to talk to you. <laughs> and then just immediate tears. Uh, yes, like waterworks immediately. <laughs> they sat down um, 
or they like knelt down by the couch and or my mom did my dad was in the kitchen i think and my mom's like what's up uh-huh. and i'm like oh i have something to tell you mm. <laughs> but then then what did you say was it like i'm gay or like i don't know or were you like i was like did you still say like i'm struggling well yeah i kind of framed it like i think i have attraction towards men and women and i was like i think i might be bi Mm. and was still in this in between of like i'm not ready to fully come out as gay Mm. i could not let go of this hope Mm -hmm. and this thought that maybe i would be able to find uh, a female that i would like fall in love with and could marry and, and live a happy life with um you weren't ready to like write that off. I was not ready to write that off. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. That was that felt too. It felt like I was failing if I did that. Mm-hmm. Like I was giving up. So that's where I was at. And it took three months, four months for me to come out as fully gay. But did they care? Wait, you skipped over like. Oh. Did they care? Like, what was their? Oh, they were wonderful. They were like, well, like, thank you for telling us. We we love you. No matter. No matter. Mm. who you love and that's okay and um i had a had a positive thing that happened before i came out to them which was um like a childhood friend of ours had recently come out to their parent and my mom was friends with that parent and so we were she she, like told me about it and was like i am i totally like see that and think that's great and like totally fine i'm so happy he came out and she's like i really don't see anything wrong with it and then if anybody else came out i would fully support them mm. so is that cool yeah. yeah 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 so this conversation had come up and i um knew that their perspective on homosexuality had changed since high school did they make any comments about it before we just had a lot of derogatory horrible commentary growing up like my family's pretty vulgar <laughs> mm. <laughs> south park comedy humor you know like my brother, the words fag and using the word gay as in as as in stupid right. were just common. That was just commonplace. That was like part of our vocabulary. From your from your brother or from your parents or both? Mostly from my brother, but my parents would chime in every once in a while. Oh, like, oh, that's okay. Maybe jokingly, very rarely, but it was enough yeah. for me to be like, I know where they stand. Or this is at least it was like early two thousands. It was a different time. Totally different time. And I was like right there with them participating like, yeah that is gay exactly <laughs> yeah totally 100 percent. that's when i asked them it was like january february of 2013 that i asked them um if i could come out publicly online they told me to wait <laughs> okay so then you said three months later you were like just kidding i'm not bi i'm gay yep to friends and family mm-hmm. and then you asked if you could come out online yep. publicly because you were actively making YouTube videos like once a week-ish, maybe. Yeah. Or a couple times a month. Correct. And so then it was like, okay, well, I have this like online persona that like maybe this would be helpful to share who I am yeah. fully um, and go from there. And then they told you to, but they told you to wait. They wanted to tell family members before I told everybody in, in the public, <laughs> YouTube followers, you know? Like, why, did, why did, how did? They didn't want my family to find out something so 
deeply personal to me. So how many well, video? Yeah, but how many like, people online? were you having to tell? They told who they needed to tell. Oh, they did it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I they did not tell me that I needed to tell anyone. It was like they wanted to talk to my aunts and my uncles and like tell close family. So so funny. Again, again, when we tell my story, it's just like so different. Yeah. Totally. Um, which I thought was weird. I was like, why do you need to you know, like I'm like, why do you need to tell people this is my thing? But at the same time, it was so new to them. And it was something that they needed to process and figure out. They needed time to process and figure it out before I like mm-hmm. let open the floodgates and let everybody know what was happening. Which is funny because now if anybody like questions your sexuality or like accepting you as a person, your mom is just like, bye. Yeah, cut them off. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just, I don't think they wanted anyone to be too shocked or surprised at the, you, you know, by a video. Yeah. So yeah, I made my coming out video. Uh, I have not watched my coming out video since posting it. Mm. Um, and I think we should end this podcast with just like a little snippet from it. That'll work. My other question was, why did you sh- want to share it so publicly? I wanted to create a video on YouTube to share it. And the way that I did was because I felt like my life online was completely different than the life that I started to live in person. Because throughout my junior year, I started to date other men i started to like finally express my sexuality but online i was still portraying myself as a straight guy and i was getting a lot of emails and a lot of questions from people who were in the closet wondering like what do i do how do i accept myself are you gay like what's happening you know people oh, before were, you came out before i came out and i i knew that a big percentage of my audience were, were lgbtq so i and I saw it in, on campus and I knew like how much people were struggling like I was and I was tired of being in the dark and mm-hmm. living in this school that told me that I was inferior to other people. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that is bullshit and like we need to rip the bandaid off, like shine a light on it and say, yeah, this is what's going on. This whole religious outlook made me f- like this is what. I felt about myself because of all of all of this bullshit. Yeah. And I just wanted people to like look at it and yeah. say like that is fucked up. Yeah. Right? Mhm. When you were I feel like part of this your story is that like you were one person uh in in real life and then one person online, but when you were younger you felt like you identified more with people online. Yeah. And then this was sort of like a quick shift where like then your online personality once after you came out in real life now you felt like your real life was a little bit more authentic than your online life yeah which i think is interesting and then yeah then they kind of like and melded youtube kind of saved me in high school i don't know if i'd go as far to say like youtube saved my life but it kind of did i mean it like really without it you wouldn't have gone to like europe and you wouldn't have met people and you your perspective may not have changed so quickly without Uh, it i don't know if i would have made it through high school yeah honestly that's kind of crazy to think about. Like, so I think that's maybe a struggle too with how people view social media. Is that's like, it's there's it's not always bad. I think it's always kind of like, oh, we talk about like the bad parts of social media, but not as many people will say like, hey, this thing like definitely impacted my life in like a, in a major way. YouTube was my way of dissociating from the hell. 
that yeah i was living in high school yeah and being able to see that there was something else beyond what my current situation was i think it's also like maybe informative going just into like a quick parenting or kid raising sort of like thought process too of like if there's a kid and they're like always on the computer always gaming or something like that like it could be just like a little signal that maybe in real life things aren't necessarily going the way that they want and maybe they're identifying really well and maybe it's not a bad thing like obviously spending a lot of screen time is like a big no-no for people right there's a big cloud over that I don't know. I just, it's well, kind of interesting to think about stuff. There's there a, might be a reason, a reason, right? There, reason. Might there might be a reason. And instead of just being like, stop playing all those video games, maybe take a step back and right. think about like, hmm, I wonder why this person spends so much time on the computer. Everybody does everything for a reason. My mom always says this, like kids don't just freak out for no reason. It's just like, you have to figure out what the reason is and then like address it instead of just reacting to it. That's always stuck with me. It's like, there's always a reason for the behavior. Yeah. And so... You have to like dial back a little bit sometimes and be like, okay, what is going on? Like, what is the reason for the And I think behavior? just like our minds and our bodies will do the craziest things yeah. to process and like figure out or handle stressors in life. Right. And I recognize so many points along my story that are like, oh, why? Like how, you know, those moments where you're like, what the hell? How did that happen? Like, yeah. why did I act that way? And then, then to think about like the the mind or the body like trying to to survive or figure out you know mm -hmm. function better just be able to be itself yeah <laughs> in the way that it responds yeah dang so well, yeah thanks for sharing your story with everybody that's very vulnerable state to like go back into I hope it like sixteen years later I hope it resonates with somebody i don't yeah. know every time i tell my story i think i like did a horrible job and i think i like hit oh, so many points no. wrong or i'm excited to hear about out. this college experience yeah there's a lot to look forward to this season as far as like diving into some of these stories um but that's a quick intro and, and like overview of the past yeah soon we will be going into my story but i literally think i'm going to convince you to tell the college part on the next episode what us. yeah oh my god <laughs> so stay tuned for that next week <laughs> all right well thank you all so much for listening and for being here and yeah. for you know giving us your time holy crap yeah um make sure to subscribe um follow yeah how do they do it on podcast leave a review. i think you follow you follow and yeah. then you comment and you leave a rating rating and yes. you say something really nice to us because for a we, review that'd be great we we're super vulnerable today so yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> send some nice kudos send some nice vibes we appreciate that you can also <laughs> find us on instagram um youtube tiktok all the places i have a link in the podcast description follow that link and mm -hmm. you will find all the places and things that you can check us out on after the podcast mm -hmm. great all right well we're gonna leave and um leave with the little snippet from my coming out video there you go all right see you next time see you next time daddy's, daddy's out. out that sounds funny after a not out daddy's story. out <laughs>Hi everyone, this is going to be a completely different video from my other videos. I have 
been very nervous, my palms have been sweating, I'm sweating, I've been sitting in front of my camera for an hour not knowing exactly what I want to say, I feel like a wreck, but that's exactly what I want to show up to you guys, because this is the real me, and this is who I am, and this is a real video where I'm not using jump cuts, because I just want to talk to you and have a conversation. I thought about writing a poem, I thought about expressing myself artistically, but I can't figure out any other way to express myself properly to you, other than to just be here and be real with you. This year, I have tried something that has been different, completely different than what I've done for the previous 20 years of my life. And that thing is that I've been vulnerable with people. I've been vulnerable with my friends and my family and even my dorm community, which is extremely different. Before, I thought I could only fully express myself on YouTube because I'm at a distance from you guys. You guys are far away. You're not completely involved in the realness of my life right here. It's digital. I could sit in my room with the camera and say whatever I want and be whoever I want and no one would care. It's fine. But out here in the real world and me actually being me in front of you, that I feel naked in that sense. But it's good. It's good. It's really good. And the crux of all of this, what I'm trying to get at, is I'm gay and I've been struggling with my sexuality for the last 10 years of my life. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.